It's a pleasure to be with you, Evie Free. I'm so excited to hear about your search for a new pastor. I'm sure you're excited about that. And I just know the heritage, the rich heritage of this church. have several close friends who are part of this. I'm excited to see who God will bring to you as you continue to serve as an embassy of God's kingdom work in and through this community. In fact, that's part of what I wanted to talk to you about in my half an hour this morning. I'm concerned as a pastor from what I've seen whether it was students when I was at Biola in Talbot, whether it's Christians in my church in northern Illinois, where, by the way, it's 50 degrees cooler than it is here today. I have let lots of people who finished worshiping just recently at my church know exactly the temperature every 15-minute updates. So I'm glad to be here. But I'm concerned about this spiritual life This spiritual existence that is disconnected from a real physical world. I'm worried about, call it a disembodied, disengaged kind of Christian existence where our spiritual life language, it's very much Pauline and biblical, gets kind of morphed into this inner feelings, dispositions, me and Jesus, isolated from the body and the real world. In fact, I I want to argue this morning that the church is a building. And I know you've probably heard it said, church is not a building, it's a people. And fair enough, when I say the church is a building, I'm not just meaning a facility, but it is a building in the sense it's located. It exists in a community. It has a group of people who have real flesh and bone lives existing and connecting, and it's called to minister to those around you. That's my concern. When Paul, for example, who uses this phrase spiritual life the most in scripture, says such things, he's not talking about some abstract, kind of loosely floating in the clouds, me and Jesus experience. He's talking about how the Holy Spirit infuses, empowers, fills me up so that my whole life is driven by the gospel. And I become an agent of reconciliation, an ambassador as Christ was to this world. We become the body of Christ. Think of that metaphor and let it be something that has a real sense of physicality to it. So I'm concerned that many Christians, and I've seen this in my church. I've seen this in students when I was teaching at Biola. I've seen this in other Christians and I'm assuming there's some of that even here at Evie Free Fullerton. Where your Christian life is, and your Christian faith is divorced from the real world God has created and the real world God has called you to. Symptoms of this would be an emphasis on biblical knowledge disconnected from biblical living. Or it'd be a spiritual life, very individual, independent, uh, spiritualized in such a way that it's not engaged with the local body of Christ. I'm even concerned about this unhealthy separation, this purity from or defense against the world kind of approach that makes you almost feel like you're successful as a Christian if you avoid people altogether. That is not what God called us to, and praise be to God, that is not what Jesus did. Jesus did not just float in the clouds, looking down at this pagan fallen world, saying, oh, Father, don't make me go all the way down. Don't make me like, I don't want to touch him. And he just floats in this cloud and says, uh, I'm going to give you the gospel, three-point sermon, right? I'll give some analogies, but I don't want to touch you. I don't want to have to be close to you. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus fully entered in. It's what we're about to celebrate. Good Friday and Easter that was just announced. He entered in. 
He was with people. He was talking to people. He was touching people. He was eating with people, which in the ancient world, of course, is very much an intimate kind of association. So that's my concern. So to help you connect your spiritual life to the real world, I want to give you three things. I mean, three-point sermon. I'm a pastor. I got to do it. But I'm going to give you three things just of connecting your spiritual life to the real physical world. And again, my hope is that both Evie Free Fullerton as a church, as, as shortly you'll get new new lead pastor, and as you try to be faithful that as a church, you'll be engaging this community, a community I lived in just three years ago. But that also that as individual Christians, you will begin to think and look at your neighborhood differently, where you work differently, where you go to school, a college classroom that you're sitting in or teaching in, wherever you exist, that you're looking at it with eyes or spectacles of faith, with the gospel giving you a different insight into the people and the places where you live. So the first thing I want to do to help connect spiritual life in the real world is to give you something to understand. God wants you to know, and Zach even hinted at this, God wants you to know the full biblical story that you're taking part in. You could even break down the the whole story. Maybe you're new. Maybe you're just kind of exploring the Christian faith or you're a newer Christian and this big 66 book Bible seems a bit intimidating, but you could summarize the Bible in just four chapters, four parts that explain the whole biblical story. Creation, fall, redemption, new creation. Now my concern is that those two middle chapters, fall and redemption, often get the most of our attention. And rightly so, there is something quite significant there, that we were separated from God, a broken world, needing redemption, that the death of Jesus Christ brought a unity to us in our walk with God that was significant. But a Christian life that only focuses on those two and forgets the bookends doesn't know the trajectory of the biblical story or the life of the Christian in the church. God did not end. His goal is not just to suck you out in some way, to just remove you from the world in the same way that he didn't do that with Jesus. The goal is that this fallen world that was created good, and God said several times that you yourself were very good, that God would restore that and that redemption would end with a new creation. That's the goal. Not some floating on a cloud with a harp, but living in a recreated physical world. Think about that biblical truth for a minute. Think about a world where there is no longer cancer. Think about a world where there is no longer death. Think about a world where there is no longer divorce. Think about a world where there is no longer war. We are not voting for a president because Jesus already wins. We are not fighting with other nations because God's kingdom is reigning and it is an international kingdom where there is no more of those divisions, where all of this brokenness of relationships, the brokenness of the body and the brokenness of the created world has been restored. That's the goal. So is your life aiming towards some abstract, esoteric, floating in the cloud me and Jesus? Have you stopped at the third chapter of the Bible and not moved to the fourth, which is a fully restored, fully redeemed new creation? I was at home on a cold December night. Again, I live just north and west of Chicago. And we had gotten 10 inches of snow after dinner. And it was about 10.30 at night. That's a lot of snow. Snow, by the way, is this white stuff that falls down. It kind of collects on the ground. You can throw it at people. It's kind of cool. You'll see it in heaven. But 
I was there about 10.30 at night and it, had, and it had been snowing hard and I was kind of wondering even just, it was a Sunday night and I was even, the kids were hoping, probably praying there'd be no school the next day, but in Chicago, there's gotta be like three feet, day of school. But I got a call from a guy in my church. He's just a little younger than I am. His dad, just in, their, in his living room, had passed away, right there on the floor in the living room. His wife was sitting there trying to revive him. The whole family had gotten there. This had happened probably 30 minutes before he, before he called me. He was just broken. He knew it was, I mean, they lived just in, we're right on the edge of, of Illinois and Wisconsin, and so they lived just into Wisconsin. And he was just, he, I mean, he just wanted to talk, and I, knew, I could tell, and rightly so, he wanted me there. And so I, I told him, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try it. Took me an hour through the snow to get there, but I just wanted to be, again, physical presence, a real body, right? Real people. Not just a phone call or just kind of a long distance prayer, but being present. So I went there as their pastor and as a brother, and I'm in their house, and literally Joe, his dad, was laying still in the living room as the coroner was coming in and all the medical and the police officer was there, just kind of policy in this county in southern Wisconsin. And I'm with the family and we're praying. And we're crying and they're telling stories. And I'm just, even though I knew Joe and I knew his family and his kids, his grandkids, it was just this moment of being present. And then at the end, about two in the morning, they were taking his body away and most of the family went in the other room, but his son, Barry, was standing right there and he wanted to see his dad. And as his dad's body was lifted up and about to be carted out, his, this grown man just turned his face toward me, put his head right here on this shoulder and just was weeping. And I'm whispering in his ear, I said, brother, you will see him again. And it's not just this, this, like a faint image. God will restore that very body you just said goodbye to. That is the full story. That's the full story. That they will embrace physically. He will see his father and they will rejoice. New creation. That is what God wants you to understand. And I think is a helpful first thing to note as we try to connect our spiritual lives with the real physical world. If the first thing was something to know, the second thing is something for you to do, to practice, to, to engage with the world that you're living in and ministering in. I think I'm, I'm blown away by just a few words in the Gospel of John. Very beginning of the Gospel, John chapter 1 the author gives us this cosmic picture of the gospel and the work and the ministry of Jesus Christ as he entered into this world. But he gives a remarkable statement in John 1 verse 14. And if you're a new believer, this might be new to you and the words on the screen might even look kind of strange. And if you're a longtime Christian, you're like, I know this, dude. Seriously, I've memorized it when I was a kid. Good, but just for a few moments, listen to it with fresh ears. Just listen to this. This powerful statement where the text says, and the word became flesh. To be honest, even if you've known this for 40 years, those are kind of weird words. Why is Jesus called the word? Probably rooted in the Old Testament, the word is this category of explaining Jesus Christ as the one who literally is the sovereign ruling king. Its use implies that he is beyond and other and incomprehensible and all powerful. Like God, when he spoke a word and creation was formed, he's the revealer, the declarer of God's truth. He makes God known. What a great title of power and authority and purpose to call Jesus 
the word. But then you get this strange explanation that the word became flesh. Now listen, that is a strange term. Why flesh? Why not something like the word became a man? And there's another Greek word that would have clearly been the word became a man. Or how about even just if you're trying to focus on kind of a physical reality, why not say the word became a body? Who speaks flesh language anyway? Imagine me walking in Brea Mall or something and I look and I see a guy in a red hat, but instead of saying guy, I say, look at that flesh in the red hat. <laughs> oh, hey flesh, come here a second, rather than hey guy or sir. Hey, we don't speak that way. We don't just say flesh. That feels maybe abusive, aggressive, distortive in some way. So think about this. God is so intentional with his word. He's so creative. Not creative in loose kind of sense, but creative in guiding us to see exactly what he's trying to depict with the careful selections of words. He chooses this, the, the, this word, word that is incorruptible, dominating, and then he chose a term to talk about a human that is the most corruptible, the weakest part of the human body. It even speaks of like meat, the flesh of a person. Why? I think one reason is clear. By speaking of this most base term for humanity or for a human, God depicted so beautifully how Jesus entered into a fully fallen sinful world. He took upon himself, God, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, took upon himself the broken, fallen condition of the world. Think about how much he entered into this. Like think about how detailed God is trying to say, yeah, he's not, he's not, just, he's not just becoming a body or becoming a man as much as those are true. He is engaging and partaking and participating even though without sinning in the fallenness of the created world. And God entered in. He entered in. That's why you continually see in the four gospels, which is half the New Testament, Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and the, the, the destitute and the sick and lepers because he was entering in. How many people would he touch with his hand or hold or use as a shoulder to love and engage with? He entered into the most base part of our human existence. The word became flesh. I think another reason that this, this term flesh is not just kind of explaining how and the way Jesus entered in, but it's forecasting a bit. And when I say forecasting, I mean the term flesh is a term often used to describe like death. It could almost be translated carcass. Jesus' purpose was ultimately not just to enter in well, but ultimately to be a sacrifice. I just say those three words. Word became flesh. There's a whole theology of the gospel in those three words. And they also depict so carefully the missional intention of Jesus. He entered in. He was with people. He cared about physical body. Think about how differently he would have looked at the world. The average people living in Jerusalem and Judea and all the places he ministered. Yeah, they'd seen that tree. Yeah, they'd seen that house. Oh, they've been to that little coffee shop or whatever it would be. How would his eyes see things differently? How would he look at them with gospel spectacles? 
Seeing a tree that he knew that he had created as the creator of all things. Seeing people who were enslaved to sin. And even though they were mocking him and shaming him and ultimately killing him, he was so driven to know that they do not know what they do. And he wanted to release them from this bondage and love them. Just be careful as as we talk about this, because just to know where I'm going to go with this, where Jesus went with this, at the end of the Gospel of John, after this powerful image of the Word becoming flesh and entering in, the Gospel tells us, oh, by the way, church, you're doing the same thing. As the Father sent me for that unique mission, so I, the Son, church, I send you. And that similarity, though a different mission, you and I aren't going to the cross, we're not redeeming the whole world, but we are engaging with the real people in the real physical world, motivated, infused with the spirit for the power of the gospel in real people's lives. Jesus looked at the world differently. Do you? Can you begin to practice that? I was raised by a single mom. And part of my own story is how God used my absence of a father in my life. He was out of the picture by the time I was nine months old. So very much for me, the fatherhood of God is part of my own understanding of the gospel and the grasping of my adoption as a child of God. That was a big deal for me. And I remember the first time I remember meeting my dad, I was about 11 or 12 years old. I've got a son that age even right now. So I was about 12 years old and I met my dad for the first time. And I'd seen a lot of other people I'd seen a lot of other men in my life, but I looked at this one very closely because I saw his size 14 shoes and wondered one day if mine would be the same size, and they are. I saw his little bit over six foot four height and his big solid frame and kind of always wondered in my mind, am I going to look like that too? I even remember one time kind of trying to look without him noticing, looking at the lines on his fingers and wondering and see, looking quickly at mine and seeing if our hands looked the same. And they did. And just looking at him differently because I was seeing a man, but this one was unique. He was my biological dad. And I looked with careful attention. Think about how carefully Jesus looked at his world. He entered in and he had eyes motivated by the gracious, merciful powerful love of God and he looked at every person whether it was a king in that jurisdiction that was challenging him or he looked at a prostitute caught in sin he looked with these eyes that looked differently than the way you and I now might think of our world practice that leave this place every coffee shop every place you work the office you work in the classroom that you're taking classes in your neighborhood look at it with fresh gospel-driven eyes, see it for what it is. God will restore it. He is working in it. He sent you to live there in his providence, to work there in his providence, to study there in his providence. You are a missionary there. Enter in. Incarnate in your place where you work and live. To be honest, this is getting harder to do. Think about this. Most humans in human history have experienced life and community without cars. Think about how different the world is if you didn't have a car, how small a radius you'd be able to travel and locate it. These massive freeways you have around here that I do not miss in the least. The five and the 57, the 91, thank you Lord for moving. 
But think about how you see the world differently because you're going 65, Lord willing, or something down these, these roads. You, how about just even coming down Imperial Highway or State College or on Lambert? You're flying by houses, neighborhoods. You're not seeing them. How do you engage with the real world when you're not in it? Or a dispersed world. We, we, we lived in Scotland for three years, which was really cool. We lived right in St. Andrews. Anybody a golfer here? We lived right on the old course, right next to Chariots of Fire Beach. I did do some Chariots of Fire running, but it wasn't as pretty. But we lived in this town called St. Andrews that's twice as old as the United States. And they have this ordinance going back centuries that you cannot build a living residence outside of a reasonable walking distance for a 60-year-old adult. So they limited it like under two miles is building this facility, like a home. So they've got all this space outside. And rather than this urban sprawl, they have to cram everything in because they want to make a living experience, an existence that doesn't have to use fuel and gasoline and, and cars. So you walk everywhere. So I lived there three years and besides hiring or renting a car, we, we, I walked everywhere. I experienced the world so differently than I would, let's say, Fullerton. I knew every cobblestone. If I'm walking with visitors, hey, you know, about 50 feet up, there's this weird stone that sticks up. Be careful of that. I knew, I knew all the roads. I knew the shopkeepers. I knew people in their homes because I was outside with them all the time. There was one old lady. She was somewhere in her mid-80s. And I remember one day I'm walking home after studying all day. I was a grad student. I'm walking home. I see this frail lady opening this door and he's got these two steps coming down and they got the little bend in them because they've been there for how many hundreds of years. And she's kind of tipping and all about to fall. And I'm second guessing as I'm walking by. I notice she's going to get her mail at the front end of the sidewalk, which is probably only 20 feet away from the front of her door. And I'm like, should I say something? Should I help her out? Ah, maybe I shouldn't impose. And I walk by kind of kicking myself. Ah, I should have helped her out. Next day walking by, same thing. I mean, what I ended up finding out is the same time every day I was walking home, she would come out to get her post and she'd call her mail. So finally the second day I said, I'm just going to risk it. I said, ma'am, before you go any further. And then she jumped and she saw this big guy right there. She was even funny. She goes, say that again. She goes, you're not from New York with her thick Scottish accent. What is that accent? I said, Midwest. Ah, Midwest. Chicago? I said, amen. But she, I said to her, do you mind if I bring you your post? She said, would you mind? I grabbed her mail, opened this little gate that with a stone, old stone fence around it, ran up to the house, climbed the steps, hand to her. She gave me the wettest little kiss right here in the cheek, you know, thanked me. She, I said, ma'am, I don't know. I said, I don't know your schedule, but every day, at about five o'clock, I walk right by here. If you don't care, I'll grab your post. If you're not there, I'll just shove it right in the door. If you're there, you can give me another big wet kiss. And she said, that'd be great. So I go the next day and I, I open the gate. I got her post. I'm walking up. I see she's got the front door open. There it is. British hospitality. I got scones on this tray. We got all this tea. I love this woman because I love scones. And it's like, I got to come in. I'm sitting and talking with her. I'm eating scones. I'm putting some in my pocket for my wife. I mean, this is great. For the two and a half years we were there, I was with her almost every day. She knew when, when, when we were pregnant with our first, she was so excited. She would hold my wife's belly and talk to this baby in, an, in a Scottish accent. I couldn't even understand. 
She would tell me stories about growing up with World War II and about how her family moved her out of London for a period of time into the northern England of safe place because of bombing raids and how they still have some netting up for submarines part of off the Scottish coast. And she was explaining all, she'd tell me about Churchill and all these kind of history. And she was a friend. I would have never, ever met here if I drove by at 35 miles an hour. So you can't take away roads and highways and cars. But you have to now be even more intentional to engage in your community and your world. You have to work double hard to have real relationships and real connections with real people. And here's why. Because they need Jesus. And because you love them so much, because the gospel has so changed you that you are driven and motivated to enter in to the real physical world. Not a holy huddle, not hiding behind walls, but actually saying, as the Father sent, you, Jesus, so now you send me. Jesus, you entered in, and you didn't just become a man, a guy. It wasn't just a body. You became flesh. You entered into the brokenness of our world so that your hand could reach out and grab mine. Father, through Jesus, you sent me to do the same thing. So E.V. Free Fullerton, how are you going to do that? Begin by just opening your eyes looking at the world around you, connecting with your neighbors. We got a neighbor across the street from us. Uh, one, of the, one of the differences now in our culture is rather than maybe like more in Southern culture, this big deck on the front and this big porch, now we got back decks. And what do we have in the front of our houses? Garage doors. Perfect seals from any kind of human connection from anybody in our neighborhood. If it's a social event, no one's going to see it's going on because it's invitation only to the back of your house. Well, you've probably got trees and fences built up because we want our own individualistic lives. Where is that way to engage with the neighbors? I've got this neighbor and he does not want to talk to people. In fact, we first moved in, I was like, I'd be walking over, hey, 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 garage door going down. Finally, I'm like, I'm in sprinter's position at the end of my driveway. I'm like this. You think I'm joking. My kid's like, Dad, what are you doing? Just get back. He comes. He sees me. I'm like, he sees me coming. He's accelerating down our drive to turn in, skidding to get in his driveway. I am running. He shuts the door. I'm thinking, do I slide underneath? I just impale myself on the door. How do I connect with people? It's going to be hard. It took two and a half years before I got to shake his hand. It was inviting him to a little Christmas social at our house with people around us, just doing anything to try to in flesh engage with the people we live. The last thing, the third thing, first is something to understand, biblical story. The second, something to do, engage in your world. Third and last, God wants you to extend his presence where you live and work. This happens both corporately and individually. Corporately, think of yourself in these biblical pictures. You are an embassy of God. You are literally the body of Christ. You're a community marked by love and sacrifice. As a church, you must see your mission as an entrance into the physical location God has placed you in. This is your parish. There's a lot of other places in the world Evie Free Fullerton might be ministering, but I know one for sure that every one of you is called to. Right here. It's where you work. It's where you go to school. It's where you take swimming lessons. It's, 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 it's where you eat and drink. and It's where you exercise. It's right here. You are called to that. 
The church, sons and daughters of the second Adam, faithfully cultivate the community in which they live, ministering to its local community as the new humanity, living in the soon-to-be-renewed creation. You are new creation agents. God is redeeming you, restoring your body, redeeming its new creations begun in you, and you are reaching for people right around you and saying, let me participate and share and guide you to know that Jesus Christ, who is renewing all things, even you. How do you do that? It's not going to be easy. You have to have eyes that see and ask different questions. We, Sarah is a lady in my church in Illinois, and she came in one day. She drives buses every morning and afternoon for school. She came and said, Mickey, Mickey, I'm seeing needs. I'm, what, what are you seeing? Well, the school does this lunch program for needy kids during the school year. But guess what? During the summer, they don't do a thing. And in fact, the food that they give, it's only for that one kid. It's not like, it's not like stuff you put in, the, it's like cereal, it's, there's no vegetables, there's no milk, there's nothing. And I'm seeing the homes where these kids get dropped off. I'm seeing all these little mouths to feed and I'm seeing broken down lives and we gotta do something. That is it. It might not be a food pantry that our church recently started or engaging in that way, but did you see what she did? She saw something. She could have just been doing her route, thinking about going home and watching TV, living her life and caring for her own husband and kids, but she was looking. She had something affect her that made her want to make a change for somebody else. When that food pantry opened, the very first night, maybe it was the second time, I was there and this one guy walked in. And he was just, he grabbed some food he, and he participates in our church. He comes almost every Sunday. He was taking some food and you could tell he was broken because of what we were doing. And he walked up to me and he just kind of, just this, this okay, whispered in my ear. He just, he said, I don't deserve this. And I said to him, neither do I. You see, the gospel changes. That man is a real man. He embraced me, I touched his real body. And when I saw him the next day, Sunday, I went up and embraced him again. He's a real person, just like you, with needs and wants and dreams. He's real, and he's in my parish. And I am called to minister to him. The church is a building, brothers and sisters. Oh, it is, not just facility, an embassy. You're an embassy for the kingdom of God right here. God's expecting you to reach out to those around you in real, tangible ways. Real people in a real place, extending God's real presence where you work and live. Let me give you one last example of this. I told you I was raised by a single mom. And, and not having a dad was a big deal. I remember seventh grade, I was a junior high basketball team. At the end of the year, we had this basketball pizza party. And it was a dad, it was a father-son thing. I did not want to go. I was the only kid on my team that did not have a dad. And just for me, that was a big deal. And I begged my mom, don't make me go. Please don't make me go. She's like, you need to go. It, you need to go. They, these are your friends. This, they'll, they'll understand. You need to go. Son, go. And I, I went. I was so uncomfortable. I couldn't wait for this thing to get over. And then we were going to have this little father-son game. And the coach divided teams by the dads. And then every son went to play on his dad's team. And there I was, worst case scenario. There I was standing there all by myself. I was so uncomfortable. I just remember looking down at my shoes, just like, get, get out of here, end this thing, end this thing. Out of nowhere, I felt a hand on my left shoulder. It was Mr. Sherman. 
If you went to a local grocery store right in the town where I minister right now, you will see Mr. Sherman wearing his white shirt and a tie. He still works there. Mr. Sherman already had two sons on his team, but he looked up and saw this little boy sitting there totally uncomfortable looking down at his shoes. And he walked up and he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, Coach, hope you don't mind, but today I got three sons. I think I forgot to tell you that. I just felt this overwhelming feeling of love, just this overwhelming feeling. I looked up and he saw a tear in my eye and he just grabbed me close. He just whispered, come on, son, I'm your dad today. I was a real person, a real little boy without a dad. He didn't just pray for me and say, let me pray for you from a distance. He didn't say that. He walked up and put his hand on my shoulder. He embraced me in his arms. I'll never forget that story. See, and it changed me so much that I became, when I was a dad with my two little boys and now little girl, I looked at the world differently. 20 years almost to the day after that event, I was at a school thing in Brea, Fanning Elementary School. Heard of that one? I was at Fanning Elementary School with my kindergarten son. There was a parent day, and I saw a little kid standing there over by himself. See, like the gospel that changes the Christian life, this single kid has radar for that kid without a mom or dad. Radar, hypersensitive. I see this little kid sitting over there all by himself. So I immediately say to my oldest, hey, we're going to add another one right now. And I walk over, and I put my hand on his shoulder, and immediately flashback 20 years. Oh, I hadn't even thought about that. I put my hand on his shoulder. And this kid turns around, I see a little tear coming down his eye. I say, hey, I thought I was going to have two, but the other one's not here. I I need another son today. Will you join? Sniff, I will. And I embraced him in my arms, just like Mr. Sherman did to me. I said, you're my son today. He's a real person. He's a real little boy. In fact, most likely, he's still finishing up right now at Fannin Elementary School. It's down the road. At the end of that day, we were having dinner as a family, and I was telling my wife a little bit about what happened, and my son was telling the stories, and we got a knock on the door. This little boy had walked across state college, across state college, this little kindergarten boy. He had walked all the way, found our house. He knocked on the door, and he was standing right there without any mom or anybody else with him standing there. He'd walked over half a mile to our house. And I went out, because I, I, what, I what I'd said to him is, I said to him, hey, listen, Let's do this again. Let's be together. We, we, got, we can play. We shoot some baskets. We can do all this thing. Like I was inviting him as part of our family. I open the door. I shut the door. I get on a knee and I'm standing in front of this little kid. And he's, this little kid says this. Hey, hey, Mr. Clink, remember when you said you wanted to be my dad? I see. He goes, I need more of that. He's a real person. He's a real person with a real body, with real emotions with real needs. Man, when God said the word became flesh, he depicted this compassionate, loving, gracious Jesus who entered in. He wasn't just there, I don't talk to people, I'm a preacher. He was touching and loving and adopting and inviting people into his father's family, sharing at a meal we call the Lord's Supper, bringing them into the family of God, the church. And he says, hey, guess what, church? Keep growing the family. Pursue them. But you've got to enter in. You can't be in a holy huddle and do this. You've got to enter into the world in the same way that Jesus did. Because you are a building. 
and you have a body and you've got hands and feet, you are the body of Christ. You are his eyes that look. God's spirit is not giving you a spiritual life just to, just to do biblical study as much as that's part of it, but to live out the Bible, to be his hands and his feet and his eyes and his mouth and to love people the same way that Jesus Christ loved you. And to put your hand on their shoulder or to embrace them and to explain the truth of Jesus Christ, that's your mission. Evie Fullerton, I am excited what God's going to do through you. I so am. And I'll watch from afar, a couple thousand miles and a lot colder, and dream of coming in short sleeve shirts. I'll watch what God does. I'm excited to see the, the man that God will come to lead you. But let me just encourage you to live out the gospel in a physical world. Enter in, remember the full biblical story, and extend God's presence in this community to which you've been called. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he didn't just become a man or a body in that language, but that even in John 1.14, this language of flesh describes this intimate and intentional entering in. Lord, I pray for this church family. I pray that they would have the gospel change them in such a way. They would be sensitive to this need of love and grace. They would be an embassy in, in, in the Fullerton area, in their surrounding community, in their workplaces, in their neighborhoods, in their classrooms, that they would be your body, your people, your flesh entering in. Bless them, Father, as they continue to be a faithful church. I pray for the man and his family coming to help lead them in the future. May it clearly just be your leading in this whole process as you have called these people to be missionaries in their own world. I pray all this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen.